0: Um, so I invite you, we're going to read Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, and then we'll just jump right in. This is God's Word, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds and And great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Eternal God and our Father, we, we've gathered here to worship you, the eternal triune God. Father, we thank you for your powerful, perfect word that revives our soul. And so, Father, we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to draw near to you. That you would free us from the distractions, the cares of this world, from the snares of the evil one. Father, help us to turn our hearts to you and our lives to you for the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that's really crazy right now is the housing market. Anybody trying to buy a house right now? Uh, Got a few. Um, Been at it for a while, probably trying, selling a house. Anything about the housing market, like in in our neighborhood right now, there's like tons of houses for sale. And like yesterday, it was like jam-packed. Big. People coming for all sorts of showings. And, of course, my wife is like, let's get on Zillow and see what the pictures are like inside, right? It's like you've always wanted to see. What are these pictures of people? Anybody else like that? Like, hey, I'm just a little curious. It's like open houses really aren't open houses. It's just for curious, nosy neighbors, right? You really kind of want to see what everybody's house in the neighborhood looks like. And so you get on, and when you're looking or shopping for a house, and you get on and you look at pic- pictures of it, you're kind of like, ooh, that's a nice kitchen. Uh, that paint, terrible. Um, bedrooms kind of small closet, you're flipping through you everybody kind of has their, their wish list for me it's like I really wanted to study and all my books are in there and then over time my desk got kicked out now it's the schoolroom, and so I just don't really have anywhere to go I was like during the pandemic I was officing in the garage like had this picture backdrop and sitting at my, my workbench working um, that's another story but we don't often, when we're looking or shopping for houses, we don't often see pictures of the foundation. Nobody really features the foundation on their Zillow pictures, right? You don't scroll through and like, "Man, I really like that foundation." It's got great. That guy did a really good job on the mortar work on that foundation. But the most important feature, really, of any house is the foundation. It's not the kitchen countertops. It's not whether there's a screen porch. Or a study or a manicured lawn or a fenced-in backyard or the quality of the roof. It's the foundation. Because the foundation is actually this unassuming bedrock which the entire structure of the house rests. You could have the most beautiful, constructed, engineered house. And it's not going to stand on a bad foundation. I mean, the structure may carry some of its loads, but the earth beneath it may not. And so I've titled this message A Solid Foundation because not only does the house that you sleep in or shopping for need a solid foundation, but your life, my life, needs a solid foundation. And so this verse, these verses we just read, even though they're so familiar, emphasizes that. And this is the conclusion, really, to the most famous Sermon that Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is, was one sermon. So sometimes you think maybe Ben can go long. Um, that was the whole sermon Jesus preached. It wasn't like, hey, he preached chapter 1, and then the next day, chapter 2. Here's Jesus preaching this. And so these are the conclusion of that. And so here it is that Jesus preaches in these striking verses. And what it is is Jesus is warning is hearers of the disastrous consequences of those who hear his word without doing what it says. So here you have two houses, two builders, two foundations, and two different destinies. And so it's worth noting that there's only two. There's not three, four, five, ten different destinies. There's two. And so this morning we're going to see that the life built on Jesus Christ will endure. The life that's built on Jesus Christ will endure. So this is the story of two houses, two builders, two foundations, two destinies that teach us three truths about the life that endures. And so the first truth that we will see from the text is that the life that endures is built on a solid foundation. And so the story that Jesus is telling here is that the importance... Of building on the proper foundation, and the foundation is built on hearing and doing the word of God. So the major emphasis is on obedience to Jesus Christ and his word. And so obedience is absolutely central to what it means to be an authentic Christian. But hearing is important. Um, Romans 10, verse 14 says, How will they? Call on him and who they have not believed. And how are they to believe in him and whom they have never heard? So hearing the word, like we're doing now, hearing the word is absolutely essential and necessary for saving faith, for sanctification. That's a big word that just means becoming more like Jesus every day. And so simply put, a disciple, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus is someone who hears, obeys, and shares Jesus' commands. And so this starts in your own home. Then it starts from house to house, community to community, city to city, until the whole world hears. You ever thought, like, how is it that we're right here today, and we've heard the good news? Like, what if the early disciples wouldn't have heard and obeyed and shared the gospel? We wouldn't be here hearing the word of God. And so a disciple is somebody who hears, obeys and shares the word of God until the whole world knows. And so here are these hearers of Jesus, right? They both hear, and they're divided into two parts. Some hear God's word and put it into action. The other group, they hear, and they don't. But verse 24 says that wise people do what? They build their lives on the rock. Verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so Jesus here illustrates wise people. Anybody know anybody really wise? That it just seems like they have so much wisdom. And wise people are people who build their lives on Jesus, on the rock. And so obedience to Jesus. And to his word is what Jesus demands. And so Jesus claims that the only sure foundation for life is obedience to him. And so that's not always fun because wisdom isn't just what you know. Wisdom is what you do with what you know. So wisdom is skilled living. It's not just knowing a bunch of stuff and being smart. It's actually putting that in to practice, And what Jesus says is, what you do with these words of mine. And so he, he is referring to what he just preached in the Sermon on the Mount. But it also applies to all the teachings of Jesus. And ultimately, it applies to all of Holy Scripture because, guess what? All the Bible is about Jesus. And so here, whether we're in Genesis or the wisdom literature or the Gospels or Acts or Revelation, it's all about Jesus and so Jesus says the wise person is somebody who hears these words of his and does something with it and so it's not just hearing and just believing it's hearing and doing something with what you've heard so those are the wise people I want to be wise verse 26 though um, says that foolish people build their lives on the sand So, and everyone, verse 26, who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So, again, you have two builders. You've got two houses that are probably very similar, right? We rode down a street um, coming here where a lot of the houses kind of look the same, right? You could take these two houses and probably look at them from the outside. There's not very... Much difference to the building plan, the structure, the material, or the location. You probably couldn't have seen any differences. They're both attractive and clean. But underneath the surface, there was a tremendous difference between these two houses. So one house was built on a solid rock, and one house is built on the sand. And a sandy subsoil makes for a pretty poor substitute For which to build a house. Sand is unstable. Always changing. Moving. It's not stable. And that's why Jesus says only a foolish person will build their house on the sand. And I've asked myself, who would build their house on sand anyways? Right? If you knew there was a rock right there. Why would you build your house on the sand? In dry weather... Every building plan, every house looks great. You look at it. It looks fantastic. Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I believe that one of the greatest tragedies of of our culture is that people despise wisdom and instruction from the Lord. I believe that people think we can just sort of build our lives without any foundation, Others think we can just sort of drift along, right? We see that. I'm not, I don't like to poke fun at like a certain generation, but sometimes there are certain generations that say, hey, I'm just going to go with kind of wherever things kind of go. But the trouble with just drifting, with that wherever you think things are going to go, is that drifting is always going to take you downstream. You can never drift into joy. You can never just drift in To saving grace and a lot of people think that we can just build our lives on whatever foundation that we want but we're all building our life on something so we're either building our life on worldly prosperity work family careers religion but the question you have to ask is whatever you're building your life on will it stand will it last because everything besides Christ is sand. Only the word of God can stand the storms of life. I was a history major in college. Um, I don't know if anybody likes history, but anybody know our third president? You know, Thomas Jefferson. Um, he was greatly respected, admired. He was a great man. Yet Jefferson never really called Jesus his Lord. He would claim to be a Christian and believed in Jesus, but after Jefferson studied about Jesus, he, sat, he set out to separate what he called the, dung, the, the diamonds from the dunghills in the Gospels. And so what was the result is Jefferson actually sat down with a penknife, scissors, and cut and pasted. It was like a, an old-timey cut-and-paste rule, right? Control copy, whatever. Here he was taking a little penknife, and what he did was he cut out Everything he thought that seemed irrational, that didn't make sense, and the things that he liked. And so what he did was he actually cut out the miracles, he cut out the resurrection, and he cut and pasted and he came up with what's called the Jefferson Bible. Now I doubt very few of you have actually taken your Bible with a pair of scissors and said, hmm, let's do this today as for family night. Let's just... Everybody I'd like you to go through and cut out what you don't like about the Bible and just leave what makes sense to you. We don't literally do that, but a lot of times we, we live like that. Well, I like that part and I don't like that part. This part sounds good, but that's called selective obedience. We obey the commands we happen to like. But we absolutely have to be willing to bend our wills to his and obey the totality of God's word. So radical, radical submission to the exclusive lordship of Jesus Christ is absolutely essential. And it requires radical obedience to what Jesus commands, not just selective obedience. And this hit home to me a few years ago. I was born in Kings Mountain, North Carolina. My wife is from Charlotte, kind of native North Carolinians. Um, I I believe God saved me when I was about eight years old. My mom was the spiritual leader of our home. Um, I was christened, baptized at a Methodist church when I was an infant. My mom was radically saved at a very charismatic Church of God church when she was 18. And so on the Sundays that my dad worked, we would go from the Methodist church to the charismatic Pentecostal church where people were literally running the aisles. So I grew up all sorts of confused when it came to church. It was like very liturgical one Sunday, walking down as an acolyte boy riding the ca- lighting the candles, and the next Sunday, people running aisles and shaking tambourines, I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, I just grew up confused, but I preached my first sermon at a church when I was 10 years old. I was just weird. I liked going into the pastor's study and seeing all the books, like I went up into Ben's little lair earlier and said, whoa, I love books. I, liked, I saw my pastor wearing the robe and you know, growing up, I was like, I want to wear a robe when I preach, but I, didn't have, I don't have one today. Um, but I grew up liking that. And so somebody told me early on, hey, Justin, if you want to be a pastor, you have to go to undergrad, and then after undergraduate, you have to go where? Seminary. So I went to seminary, and it took about as long to go to seminary as it took me to go to undergrad. So I'm in it a lot of time and money. And then we landed um, at a great church in town, Calvary Church, big church. Uh, where my wife grew up, was a student pastor there for a long time. While we were there, they built this, you know, we built this $10 million, 50,000-square-foot building for the youth, 400-something kids in the youth group. Um, Went from there to another church. And by kind of professional sort of church standard, hey, this is great. Uh, But probably four years ago, I felt really convicted by something. And I was pulling out of my driveway on a Sunday afternoon. I'd already been at church on Sunday morning. And for some reason, some churches don't like to cancel church on Super Bowl Sunday. I just wanted to be home, taking a nap. (laughs) I'm serious. Watching the Super Bowl and not going back to church. And I know that sounds terrible as a pastor, but um, I just wanted to be home. I think the Panthers were playing. and so, But I pulled out of my neighborhood, pulled out of my street, And a lot of my neighbors are outside, hanging out, right, with their kids. And I was like, you know what? I don't know any single one of their names. Here I am, a youth pastor, successful youth pastor, telling middle schoolers and high schoolers, hey, you know, how about on Monday at your lunchroom, why don't you get up, go over to another table, share the gospel with your friends, that's a much harder ask for a middle schooler and a high schooler than a professional pastor. But yet I was neglecting fulfilling the Great Commission in my own life. Selective obedience. Oh, God, I'm, I'm telling other people to go do it. Pastors are good at that. Hey, go do this, go do this this week. Try this, try that, and then. And I felt whammed, kicked in the face by the Holy Spirit. And so my wife and I started making Changes just started walking our neighborhood, prayer walking, hanging out front instead of the back. Um, and around that time, I met a guy who pioneered a church planting and disciple making movement in Africa that started 50,000 churches and reached five million people with the gospel in 12 years. And I'm like, man, I felt really good. I have five visitors show up at my kung fu night for the youth last Friday. <laughs> like, yes. Rockstar youth pastor. I, those, and those all happened within a month. And so from then I just started asking God, God, one, I repented, Lord. I, I, I know a lot. I know a whole lot. Because I believe in America we have what I call the fat-headed sheep syndrome. We know an awful lot. There's no shortage of podcasts, sermons, books. Anybody ever get recommended a podcast or a book before? Hey, you all, check this out. I just stop. It's like there is no shortage of information. But being a disciple of Jesus means that I know it, I obey it, and I share it. And I wasn't doing that. I knew an awful lot. I have a ton of books. I've read a lot of stuff. I have a degree. But I wasn't taking what I know, and I wasn't obeying it, and I wasn't sharing. And so the Lord just gave us the opportunity and really just said, God, you have to show us because I was about to lose a paycheck. I was about to lose all sorts of what I found my identity in to just really be obedient, to step out and say, God, I believe you're asking me to take a step out of what people may think is cool and what we should do um, to just be faithful, to be a disciple who makes disciples. What does it look like to be the church in simple ways? And so, For us, that meant radical obedience, really, to just leave what we knew and take a step to becoming missionaries, to reach people in the Carolinas that 75% of people, even if you invite them to church, they're not going to come. I call them the duns and the nuns, not the N-U-N, but the N-O-N. People who are just sort of done with the traditional sort of American church. You guys have a great church. Not every church is great, and not everybody's going to come to Life Church. People, some people just have no religious affiliation. And so our heart and burden has just been this radical obedience step to go reach people who don't know Jesus. And there's a lot of them in Charlotte and in the Carolinas. So what's your foundation? What do you build your life on? Maybe God's asking you to take some sort of radical step of obedience. It doesn't have to be radical like mine, but it could just be a step. God, I know this, but I know that I'm not obeying it and I know that I'm not sharing. So, first, we've seen the life that endures is built on a solid foundation. And the second truth we're going to see is the life that endures is tested by storms. So, Jesus speaks here of both houses in verses 25 and 27. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew. And beat against that house. Now, every house looks secure in weather like we have today. Sunny, it's a great day, looks good. But only the storms are going to reveal the quality of the work. Only the most severe storm is going to show the differences in the house. Now I don't know if you know this, but storms in life are unavoidable. It doesn't matter if you lock yourself in a room and put bubble wrap around you. Storms are going to come. And so here it comes, down pours the rain, goes against that house, one's on rock, one's on the sand, here's the winds, the sudden storm coming up from the Mediterranean, this waterbed's dry no more, starts to fill with the water, a little bit of brook and slow and sluggish, and then this torrent, deep, swift, furious. So it is for everybody who hears God's word. Whether you're wise or foolish, the storms of life are going to come. You can be young, you can be old, you can be foolish, you can be wise, you can be righteous or wicked, you can build on the sand or the rock, but storms of life are unavoidable. And they come in various forms. Trials, temptation, death, financial problems, sickness, disease. They're unavoidable. I've heard on TV, actually, preachers preach that... You can actually avoid storms of life if you just do certain things. That's wrong, by the way. It's not right. Job 14, verse 1 says, Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. Let's face it. Storms are going to come. Some of you may be in a storm right now, this very moment. You may feel like the waves are just pounding against you. That's a fact of life. Being a Christian is not going to prevent you from the storms of life. And actually, the opposite is true. This is what doesn't get preached, but should. You are going to face storms in this life because you are choosing to be obedient to following Jesus. And in fact, I believe the storms in our culture and in our country are going to get greater and greater and greater for those of you who are willing to take a stand and follow Jesus, to be obedient to Him? In Mark verse, Mark chapter four is one of my favorite passages about this. But Mark chapter four, verse thirty-four, Jesus was spending his time with his disciples, and He said, "Hey, let's get together and go to the other side." Okay, Jesus, I'll do that. So his disciples, they get into the boat and they sail across the Sea of Galilee. And as they were sto- as they were sailing along, what came? A storm. Were the, as, were the disciples in the storm because they weren't obeying Jesus? In fact, they were in the storm because they were obeying Jesus. I've been like, Jesus, come on, man. I'm just doing what you asked me to do. I thought once we got out in the boat, it would be okay. But in fact, it was the Lord Jesus was on the boat with them. And they found themselves in a storm. And so likewise, Whether you're obedient to Jesus or your spiritual fervency is really high, it's not going to keep you out of a storm. So don't miss the point. Right now, your life may be like today's weather. Great. But you're either heading into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. So the storms of life are unavoidable. And so that's why Jesus never labored labored to sell people on the benefits of following him fact, he said, if you follow me, you're going to die to yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Not only are the storms of life unavoidable, the storms of life are actually exposing. So look at this. The rain fell. The floods came. Very similar buildings, but it really showed what type of construction they were in. And the thing is, we can never fully understand the depths of God's goodness and his sovereignty until we go through a storm. So a lot of times when I find myself in a storm, I'll just say, Lord, I praise you. Because you're in control of my blessings, and you're in control of my troubles, and I'm just going to trust you, God. It's not to make it light or not hard, but the storms of life are exposing And last, not only is the life that endures is built on a solid foundation. It's going to be tested by the storms. But the life that endures is actually safe from destruction. So here's these two houses. Both were pounded by this storm over and over and over again. But you know what? At some point, the storm comes to a halt. You know, when you go flying and you fly and, you get, and you're flying into a storm and you finally reach that point where you go above the clouds and the storm's gone, that happens. The storms are going to come to a halt. The rain can only accumulate so much and the wind can only blow so long. So the question that you must ask is not how long the storm is actually going to last, but how long will you stand in the midst of a storm or when the storm Philippians 1 verse 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. People who build their lives on the word of God will stand. Verses 24 through 25 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. So the house that the wise man built, was built stood because it was founded on the rock. The house didn't stand because they had a, the best builder. Or they had the quali- most quality of the building materials that you could buy. Or the neighborhood it was in. It stood because it was founded on the rock. Notice the definite article. It's not just a rock. Or one of many rocks. The rock. And that rock is Jesus and His Word. And so God's Word is sufficient, inerrant, eternal. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God will stand forever. The psalmist writes, Forever, O Lord, your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God's Word will stand forever. His Word will not move. It will not fade. It won't fall away. And those who build their life on God's Word will endure the storms of life. Uh, last summer, um, during COVID, I remembered watching this video of this kid in Tennessee. It was this river. I don't remember the name of the river, um, but they were showing this live aerial footage of this helicopter. And this, it was like after some big flood, and this river is just rushing. And the commentator's like, Hey, do you, see, do you see? He's down there. And I'm like, I don't see anything but water. Well, they zoom in, and they show this 14-year-old boy who was out swimming, had fallen in. I tried to find video footage of it to show, but I couldn't find it. But it was, he fell into the water, and he was pushed downstream. And they zoomed in, and they showed him holding on to this rock in the middle of this swift river. And I could not get that image out of my head because it's this passage Here's this rushing river that would have surely taken him away, but he's holding on this rock, and that rock's not going to move. And so some of us today, we need to cling to Jesus. He's the rock. You may be in the storm, but nothing else is going to keep you from being swept away because people who build their lives on God's word are going to stand, but people who do not build their lives on God's word are going to fall. The rain fell, verse 27, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And great was the fall of it. Any philosophy or worldview or religion other than Christianity seems to work when life is easy. And you're experiencing good sunshine. But when storms come and beat upon that house, only one who's built on Christ will stand. Some of you may be here, maybe you haven't yet placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you're saying, hey, I've made it through a lot of storms on my own. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and made it, nothing was really hit. But what about the final storm? What about that storm that often comes with dramatic suddenness? We don't all get to plan our own ends. That final storm in life ends, and when you stand before your Creator... What have you built your life on? Who have you built your life on? And everybody today, this morning, has to ask, what is the rock on which I'm building my life? Is my foundation sure? The Bible says God is a rock and refuge for his people, and Jesus later is going to say he is the rock. So they have good foundations. These houses are built solidly. But if you have a poor foundation and you build poorly upon them, you will ultimately be destroyed. You will spend an eternity apart from Christ if you do not cling to Jesus. And the text says, great will be the fall. So this morning we've heard from the rock and the sand. These two different builders, two different foundations that the house represents. I believe that it's possible to, like, know all the right things, to have the right doctrine, go to the best church, have everything formulated just right, and still stand before God and say, God, I I said that I knew you, but I really didn't possess you in my heart. I really haven't placed my faith. And there's no other name given to men whereby we can be saved but his. And so it's on this rock that this morning I invite you to build your life on. For some of you, you may be building your life on things, other things other than Christ, and maybe you just need this morning to repent and say, God, I don't want to build my life on these things anymore. I want to build my life on you. For some of you, maybe you've never even placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to begin with, but say, God, I repent, I've asked you to forgive me of my sins, and this morning I'm gonna start fresh with you. For others of you, As I said, you may be in the middle and you're being pelted right now by a storm. Or maybe you know somebody, probably all know somebody, who's just being pounded by a storm. And what a great opportunity that we just need today to find rest and trust in the sovereign hand of God. So that we can all say from the depth of our heart with the hymn writer, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground, a sinking sand. All other ground, a sinking stand. The life that's built on Jesus will endure, it will last.